0: Well, I was going to start off this podcast by saying that was exactly what the Sixers needed because they were killing the Orlando Magic to start, ended up squeaking out a 101-96 win over a Magic team that's now lost seven in a row. Before we get into the details on that, don't forget, subscribe to the Liberty Ballers Podcast Network. You can catch us wherever you get your fix. And of course, check us out at libertyballers.com. Joining me, Jackson Frankie, right, for Liberty Ballers as well. Uh, Jackson, when we jump into this, looking at this game, and, and it started out, like everything was going to break the Sixers way. They went on a 17 2 run early. We're up by 15 with just under seven minutes left and a 12 point lead after one kind of let the magic stick around. uh, Couldn't get it up to 20, 25 points. And Orlando went on a bit of a run to get it within 11 going into the break. And then obviously that third quarter, Orlando shifted into a zone um, wound up giving the Sixers a ton of trouble actually outscored, Philly 23, over eight, 23 to 8, pardon me, over the first seven minutes of the quarter. When you're looking back at at that time of this one, and we'll get into what this win means eventually, but when you're looking at what the Sixers are doing against that zone, how do you think they could have done a better job of, of, A, keeping Orlando honest, and B, making sure that they didn't, the you know, making sure the Magic wouldn't want to go back to zone because things were going to be effective for them?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, at times, obviously try to get the ball in the middle there to Joel. Um, but they couldn't because the guy you know, a lot of most of those guys aren't very good entry passers. So to begin with, you know, you know, take a dribble, pass fake, then get the ball into MB in the middle. And then also, you know, schematically set more screens, quicker ball movement. Like so many coaches and teams just stop screening against zones, which I think is so weird because I mean, at the end of the day, a screen is just meant for a body to go between a defender and the ball handler to allow them an on you know an unvacated path or a vacated path or whatever, um, you know, it's a little different in zone because that person's not going to move with you, but um, still set screens. Like, you know, Rick Carlisle and Dallas did it for years. Now you, you've seen what your mom knows. Like the magic will do set screens are right at the top of the key against two, the two, three, the two top defenders. That doesn't happen. The Sixers routinely in their dock rivers seem to get flummoxed by a zone and they don't have a great zone buster, especially without Ben Simmons, you know, a smart or, you know, a high field, quick ball mover, you Know guy in the middle, but um you should still be able to get the ball to Joel butter. So screens and you know finding the way to get get Joel's touches because it felt like they just wanted to feed Embiid, but then you know by the time Joel would get the ball, he'd be maybe four feet farther out, or he wouldn't get the ball at all, and then result in a late clock shot. So um just a lot of things that went wrong. This has continually been an issue for the Sixers under Doc Rivers and you'd think they would have figured a way to at least better combat it, but it looked exactly like it was last year for the Sixers against the zone.
0: Yeah, and the, noticing that too, they didn't have a ton of ball movement with or without the ball and and getting literally no penetration. So if you can get the ball to dwell in the high post to try and you know break down the zone or, or bring in the defense a little bit, get some open shooters and of course it didn't help that they didn't hit from outside which obviously would have would have given the magic some second thought into pulling out of the zone because if the sixers are killing you from the outside that would have been a good way for, for them to kind of mitigate what orlando was doing but going back to the the bigger picture, I think, of this one was finally getting almost everybody back healthy. Obviously, they're they're dealing without Ben Simmons. Um, who knows when that's going to get resolved? But for the meantime, this was a, the the first time in a long time that the Sixers had literally everyone available. Shake Milton was back, of course. Joel Embiid, Matisse Thybul, uh, a lot of talk during the game, and especially online and on social media, just about the fact that this is going to be a work in progress. And and Tobias Harris mentioned that after the game during his post game media availability that. You know, looking at where the Sixers were, and again going back to quite feels like it was eternity ago. Just, just what we've seen with this team uh, when they started off eight and two, and now sitting at eleven and ten. How long do you think it will take? Are, are you anticipating that the Sixers will take a while to find their footing and get back onto that into that groove that we saw them in uh, earlier in the month?
1: Yeah, I think it's going to take some time because you know, especially on offense, they're playing a totally different style. You know, they were largely playing around Tyrese Maxey when Joel was out for those three weeks. A lot of ball screen heavy plays. And you know, for all of Joel Embiid's greatness on offense, it's not really as a pick and roll big. And that's in in, in those ball screens really let Maxi get downhill. So you're seeing them work out some kinks there. It seems like the role players are still kind of figuring out George Niang hasn't been as good as he was maybe even early in the year when Joel was first healthy, and then some of his games, you know, during Joel's you know, absence. Um you know, Danny Green still getting back into the swing of things. And I think Danny's actually been, you know, I thought he was great against Minnesota. I thought he was pretty solid again, you know, against, uh, against the magic. He's still kind of working his way back from a minute's limit. Um, so I, I think it's going to take some time. Tobias hasn't been great the last couple of games. I think he was six of 16 against Minnesota and eight of, he was eight of 20 against Orlando. So I don't think necessarily Tobias is, stu- you know, struggles from the field are so much related to Joel. because I think he can kind of, you know, work independent of Joel. Um, but maybe it's just him getting back in the swing. You know, he missed a couple of games with the hip injuries, had some knee injuries, knee issues he's dealt with. So um, I don't think it's going to be, you know, a quick fix. I don't I don't even think by the end of this road trip, you know, they they play they play four on the road starting with, you know, Boston on Wednesday. I would be surprised if everything looks, you know, like it did early in the year when they were eight and two um, by the end of the road trip. But I think, you know, sometime toward the middle of the month is when it would be a good goal to really kind of figure some things out. I think the schedule lightens up a bit after this road trip against, you know, four pretty solid teams. Um, but you could just tell they're really having to change how they play offensively with Joel back for, for the better, honestly, because and Joel has struggled a little bit, but he's a tremendous offensive talent in a lot of ways. And it's it's worth kind of, you know, trying to maximize things there. And I, I like that Tyrese and Joel are running a, a lot more ball screens together because those are the, the team's two best scorers in the half court. And so, and even just in general, I would say so. Um, I think these growing pans are, are smart to try and see, No, it's the growing pans smart, but it's smart to make sure you can try and maximize this offense, even if it takes a little bit of time in the short term.
0: Yeah, they shot only 40.2% from the field, and it doesn't help when Joel Embiid and Tyrese Maxey are combining to yeah. shoot 6 of 28 as well. I mean, they yeah. couldn't get anything going offensively. And you look at this Orlando squad, like I mentioned, really young, uh, did have some breaking news about Jalen Suggs. He's dealing with a, a fractured thumb now, so he's going to miss some time. He got hurt in this one, but you're looking at – you're looking at this from, from a Sixers standpoint on the offensive end. The Magic, second-worst team in defensive rating overall in the NBA. Do you just attribute this one to the offensive struggles to, obviously, Orlando kind of switching things up and, as you mentioned, uh, not being able to make the adjustments against the zone? But when you look at how the, the Sixers were shooting, ended up going 10-33 from outside. What are some of the other areas you're looking at when it comes to the offense that you want to see things start to smooth out a little bit now that at least the Sixers got their big guns back for the time being?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think, I think they, the biggest thing, honestly, right now is like, they can't play Matisse Seibel with, with Joel. Um, He just, it's similar to the Ben Simmons stuff. And in terms of how he clogs the, the floor when Joel's in the post and it's worse because Matisse isn't, you know, anywhere near the finisher or even the cutter, it just doesn't have the size of Ben. And, and that's just killing it. Really, it really, really hurt them against Minnesota and it hurt them at times. Um, you know, against Orlando as well. That's the biggest thing. Is I think that that can get rectified once once Danny's maybe back to his full minutes load. Um, I don't know exactly what his full minutes load looked like because now this is twice that he's had you know the same you know soft tissue injury you know even and then he had a, he had the calf injury or something. It was the calf back in the playoffs. So I don't know what a full minutes load looks like for Danny. Maybe it's less than last year, um, but I just don't think Matisse can play with Joel. I just I just think it's too tough. And then other than that, I think Joel. You know. I think everyone has to do a better job of making sure Joel gets the ball deep. Like, I think, I think I was looking at his basketball reference page and like a career low, 12% of his shots are coming from zero to three feet this year, which is like, I know that Joel's always been great from for, for mid range. And, you know, or at least very good and draws a lot of fouls and is taking more three this year, but that's a staggeringly low number for a seven footer who has such good touch and can get to the rim fairly often. So um, I think he's got to do a little better about, you know, getting deep position. The teams, the teammates have to do better about getting him an entry pass when he's open. Um, I think there was a play in the Orlando game where he was open early and Furkan took forever and Furkan finally made the pass. And then it was a turnover because Wendell Carter, I think, fought around the pass for a steal. So um, it's a collective effort, but you know, one, Matisse, you can't play with Joel, um, I think, in terms of offense. And then two, Joel and the team has to do better about kind of getting him deep position in the spots he's best. Because I think it's the biggest thing why Joel hasn't, Joel hasn't looked as good as a scorer this year. He's not getting the ball in the same spots as last year, I think, as often.
0: What do you think, the, the other than, you know, trading Ben Simmons or trying to get somebody else, it, schematically, what do you think Doc Rivers can be doing differently to, to try and help that, again, getting Joel in more comfortable spots? Because, you know, especially really early in the season, going back to, you know, when they when they lost against Brooklyn in, in game number two and then lost that ugly one against the Knicks in, in game number three, saw a lot of that with, with Joel in terms of, like you're mentioning, trying to, uh, and I, th- I felt at the time earlier in the season, the team was kind of forcing things with him and, and getting the ball. Like you mentioned, you know, if he's on the block, he's, he's three feet away from the block and you're passing in the ball there. Kind of, you know, again, Joel a great shooter, but you want you want, want him getting the ball as close to the basket as possible. So when you're looking at this, if you're Doc Rivers, what are some ways you'd be able to look at to try and get Joel set up into better positions to be um, at the same level of, of a scorer that he was or at least close to last season?
1: Yeah. So one of the things I did when JJ Redick was, you know, in town was they ran a lot of cross or flex screens down on the baseline to get Joel, you know, the ball particularly, or usually in the low block where Joel is really good. Um, So i like to see them use Seth or Danny as a, as a screener more um, down there. Obviously they use Seth sometimes as a screener, um, but not that much. I think Seth is a pretty good screener. He's not, as good as his brother for a guard, um, nobody really is. I mean, Seth's an incredible guard screener, but I think Seth is pretty good. Danny, I think, is, is good. I, I get kind of why they don't do as much with Danny because they like to keep him in the corners, and he's so good playing along that baseline. But I think you it's kind of a disservice to Joel. We're not a disservice so much. That that seems, you know, maybe like it's intentional, but it's its its hurting Joel. And so I like to see more flex and cross-screen actions down there to get in the ball deeper. Um, because, yeah, I'm looking at his numbers now, like 12% of his shots from zero to three feet last year was his previous career low which was 21.9 of his shots there um for his career at 28 so he's just not getting a team position this year um and so that's what i like to see maybe some, uh, some screen the screener stuff like a lot like i know denver when jamal murray was healthy would run you know, they'd run across or a flex screen for Nikola okic and then and then there'd be a screen kind of a pin down at the elbow for jamal to shoot off the dribble or shoot off movement excuse me um obviously danny and seth aren't great you know going into a full sprint to shoot but um i think if that's kind of the secondary option you have um then if the idea is to kind of get Joel deep position that would be a, a smart strategy but other than that i don't i think it's also on joel just kind of you know joel i think for so much of his career has been so good at making sure he gets deep position you know getting low getting leverage you know, you know sticking his sticking his butt into the defender and getting deep getting deep catch and that hasn't felt the case as much this year maybe he's Maybe he's not trying to play as physically or, you know, I don't know exactly, but it just hasn't felt like that's been the case, you know, given the Joel that I've watched for so many years. But those would be the two things that Joel, um, you know, you know, be a little more physical, establish position, more cross and flex screens. And then as I said earlier, the, 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 the other guys have to be better about making those entry passes and looking for them and, you know, making those entry passes easier for everyone involved.
0: Jackson, I want to jump into some things about the bench as well. Uh, As I mentioned, pretty much all got everybody back at this point. We'll jump into that after a short break. All right, and we're back. I wanted to jump into some of the bench guys. Andre Drummond, uh, you know, has been an elite rebounder considering the amount of minutes that he plays. He's just been a beast on the glass. He had seven points. And 12 rebounds in this one uh actually had a big sequence there at the end of the third ended up getting an and one didn't make the free throw but then scored the first two buckets for philly got a couple of offensive rebounds and, and kind of charged the team up and this was after orlando had taken a lead put the sixers back up by five when you're looking at the difference between him with and without joel Embiid in the lineup and again i mean he had some memorable games while, while joe was gone the, the 17.20 rebound effort against milwaukee you look at the 14.25 Uh, boards against the Knicks against, again, those didn't end up in wins, but he had some good moments, Sacramento, nine points, 23 boards. But when you're looking at, at, at his impact with Joel compared to without Joel, why do you think it seems like he's a little bit better playing, you know, 15 minutes a night as compared to having to have him out there for 25 to 30, let's say if uh, Joel's out with either an injury
1: or or resting. It, It, to me, it kind of felt like the longer the team went without Joel the more erratic sequences we saw from Drummond, and that's just part of his game at times. Even though he was good, good against Orlando, we had a few sloppy turnovers, and it, fe- it felt like as that went on, the erratic, the erratic nature kind of coalesced into so that would, and he'd start a game poorly, and then it would just spiral into an entire game would be, would be the, you know an issue rather than you know when he was playing really, really well. To open the year, he would open, he'd start the game with a good screen and a roll, or he'd start the game with a steal and a pick and roll coverage, and that would kind of, or he'd have a nice dime to a cutter for for a bucket. Um, and so I just think it doesn't really feel like he is a more narrow role. It just feels like when he is in a time constrained role that he just does better. Like he knows that he's a, he's a limit. He's a finite amount of time out there rather than, okay, Joel's out. I'm going to play, you know, 31 minutes per game, you know, it's eight 18. So I don't know, like if I, I think, I hope I distinguish it well. It doesn't feel like his responsibilities are different. It just feels like his minutes are obviously down which is the case, but, mm-hmm. um, but that leads to him for something, just, you know, making a building off of a strong start rather than, you know, falling into the trap of a poor start. So um, that's just anecdotal. I don't have anything to support, but that, that was kind of my, my, my read on it when Joel was out that just, just like got off to a, a, a poor start more often than not as Embiid was, was out for longer. Whereas, you know, he feels like he's, he played, he started the game well in Orlando and, you know, ended the game pretty well during his, during his, season. as you said, he was really, really good in that, that second half stint that he played and he was key on the Sixers, you know, kind of coming out of this game with a win.
0: Well, when you're looking at the, at the rest of the bench, Jackson, and, you know, I know you said it's anecdotal, but I just appreciate your basketball insight. Cause like I said, you are savant so when it comes to the game. So I always appreciate your insight on that. But uh, when you're looking at the bench guys, George Niang obviously cooled down a little bit after, after his really hot start. Uh, to his time with the Sixers, but looking around, obviously Matisse Thybulle, what he brings defensively. Shake Milton, Furkan, Korkmaz has been struggling a lot, you know, over the last past couple of weeks. But when you're looking at that bench, and, and Doc went with had the ability to do so, he finally did go with ten guys uh, in terms of the rotation. Who is there? Is there one or two players that come off the bench at this point that you might look at and think you would like to see, maybe see the Sixers try and get an upgrade there? Or when you're looking at this, like. Because I'm kind of t- trying to take the long view on this, which is, look, that the COVID stuff, the injuries, dealing with all that, especially, you know, within the first month of the season, obviously doesn't help in terms of team chemistry, getting the right system together. You mentioned when you're playing with an MVP candidate, you got to shift things around offensively, which we saw the team, you know, key in on, on Maxi kind of being the guy with the ball in his hands, especially without Embiid and Harris in the lineup. But when you're looking at, at, at that bench itself... Is there anybody or is one or two players that you look at that you're like, okay, maybe Daryl Morey could try and get some help? Or do you look at this? And and Doc Rivers said this during his shoot around media availability. Earlier in the day, he was saying on Monday, I'm talking about, but he was saying, you know, he thinks that this team is really, really good when it's when it's has everybody fully healthy and, and and available to play. But when you're looking at it from from your viewpoint, like I mentioned, wh- who do you think they could look at maybe trying to improve on the bench and adding some depth pieces to give the Sixers a little bit more of a boost, especially on the offensive end?
1: Yeah. And so I think I think for me, I'm looking at the two kind of ball handling guards there and Shake and Furcon. Like Furcon was so awesome to start the year. Um it's it's really a bummer. Like I have a guy that I've really I've really enjoyed watching Furcon blossom over the years. But there's no there's no denying that he's really struggled. So I, I am I am curious to maybe get farther into the year, as you mentioned, with everyone back. Let's maybe like maybe review in a month where Furkan is, you know, efficiency wise. Obviously, it's been tough, even the two games with Joel and, and Tobias back. Um, but I want to kind of see him get a little more stability. Um, but I think you know that's a role that you could try to improve. It just depends. Again, like I think if Furkan is a 34% three point shooter, um, you know, which is right about what he's been this year, then you have to you have to kind of Upgrade there for sure. But if he is the, the 38, 39% guy he was across the last few years, when in the national factory, also factoring in the defensive improvements and the playmaking improvements, I think that's a fine, you know, that's that's maybe a role that you could look to improve, but it doesn't necessarily necessitate it. But again, Furcon's been really poor to this year overall. So that's something you should probably be keeping on on the radar. Um, but Shake still, I think, you know, I think that's a role that you need to improve, especially or upgrade, especially if Shake's be continue to be this on ball guy, because he just doesn't, I mean, He's really struggling to shoot the ball from deep and he's not a good enough interior score. Um, even if he has some pretty impressive moments, you know, using his frame and his shoulder to create space for runners and floaters and leaners and whatnot. Um, but those two ball handling spots at the bench is where I'd really look to um, upgrade. And then I, but I just think, you know, give it, you know, not not, not that you're saying to make a move imminently. You even mm-hmm. mentioned that in the long view, but um, give it a little bit of time to kind of see where these guys level out and then reassess. But right now, those two spots are where that I, where i think at least off the bench that this team could really stand to to benefit um uh, you know just from those 18 20 minutes a night that those guys provide currently. Yeah, you mentioned
0: Frick's struggling uh, in terms of shooting the ball last 11 games he's shooting 28.6% from the field, less than 25% from from three. So i think you know that's been very noticeable since his hot start. Uh looking around the league as a whole Jackson like i mentioned we're basically at the at the quarter pole of the season every game every team part of me has has virtually played 20 games or around there give or take one or two. Uh, looking around the league, and and especially at teams that might start to struggle. Obviously, you got the Houston's, uh, the New Orleans Pelicans. We're gonna wait and see what happens if and when Zion gets back in the lineup, and and maybe he can jumpstart that team. The San Antonio Spurs, Spurs. Part of me, uh, you got Orlando, Detroit. All these teams that are that are kind of bottoming out. But when you're looking around the league, and and you mentioned, you know, again, we're not saying that the Sixers have to make a deal, and Daryl Morey has to do something sooner than later. But when you're looking around at the at the league, is there is there any particular player that might be under the radar that you would be like okay that would be a good guy to to maybe try and bring in uh, again depending on the cost but trying to bring in in terms of helping the second unit and and somebody who's not going to come in you know making 15 million dollars a season
1: yeah that's a good question i hadn't i hadn't really thought about it especially just because it does feel you know fairly early for that um trying to think about guys you know and it's tough too because i think so many teams are considering right now at least still like the plan to be a viable option. I mean, you look in the, in the East, you know, there's 13 teams within two games of the plan right now, or I guess uh, two and a half games now. Um And they're in the West. Uh, you've got, you've got uh, 12, te- 13 teams that are within three and a half. uh And as you mentioned, you know, that doesn't include the Pelicans who might be getting Zion back in the near future and have them playing a little better as of late. um I wonder what a guy like Eric Gordon might call. I know he might, he's probably making too much. Um, but it's and it's tough because the six to have a lot of mid sized contracts, you know, it's a lot of max deals. And then I think Seth is their best, you know, guy on a mid sized value, but you're not trading Seth because he's really important and has been excellent this year. So I really don't have a great answer. I wish I had something, you know, better, but I just think it's tough because um a lot of the guys you might target that are on teams that probably are gonna be out of the running sooner rather than later or already currently are, or priorities in your long-term development are guys that are on bigger deals, like say a buddy healed or an Eric Gordon. Um Maybe a Kelly Olinick, but he's he's on mid-sized deal, and the Sixers don't have a lot of those still. So um I think Kelly could be a guy that makes sense, but I think he's making about thirteen million, which is tough for the Sixers to, to kind of figure out financially. There, um no one on Orlando really inspires me. Terrence Ross has struggled this year. Gary Harris has really struggled, and I don't think Gary is really going to invigorate your offense uh, at that guard position. So um, wish I had a better answer, but um maybe 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 next time we pot, I'll do some a little bit of research and, and come back right off the dot with four names for you but um no one comes to mind just in part because I didn't have anything you know prepared but also because uh I just think a lot of teams are still eyeing the playoffs as a realistic goal currently
0: yeah I, I, we're going to start to see that kind of th- teams especially start to follow out as we get into the new year and as you mentioned december 15th that's going to be a date where you're going to start seeing maybe more teams look to move guys because that's when the recent free agents become available so you might start to see some trade chatter pick up then but uh from what you know all reports right now that the the trade market pretty much well dead and we've seen that what's going on with ben simmons uh jackson i'll get you out of here on this they're like you mentioned they're coming up on a four-game trip they're at boston wednesday sixers are in atlanta on friday then back to back against the ball and the hornets how do you think they'll do over those four games?
1: I I think I think two and two, you know, I was, think, I was actually thinking about that today, you know, during the game a little bit. I think two and two is kind of my bet. I, I don't know exactly what that'll look like. Um, you know, if this was the if Joel had been the player he was last year this season and wasn't dealing with COVID, I would feel pretty confident about a winning against the Celtics, just given how you know how much he he strives or he thrives against them. Um, but I, I just, I don't know, you know, what Joel we're going to get, um, and right. I mean, understandably so he's coming off of COVID and he said it was a pretty serious bout. So, um, he just hasn't been the same players last year offensive to this point. So I can't say for, for certain who they're going to beat, but I just think two and two would be a good, a good goal, come back you know, 13 and 12, and then maybe try and find some stability with the stretch at home here. Um, but yeah, that's that, that would be my, my prediction is two and two, but, um, you can't interrogate me any further. I won't. I won't tell you. <laughs> well,
0: account. you know what? I'll, I'll go with three and one. I think they beat the Celtics on Wednesday. They'll split with Charlotte and hopefully get a win against Atlanta and its annoying
1: home crowd on on Friday. And we'll bet a six pack on that. Jackson, how does that sound? <laughs> All right. Hopefully, hopefully the Hawks do not hit many threes, honestly, because I I don't know about you, but I do not like the that so it's the Hawks screeching. I nothing against them, but it's just I cannot I cannot stand that celebration. So hopefully it's a it's a cold game from outside for the Hawks, independent of any. Any on court result there.
0: Yeah, we like to see an 8 to 35 shooting night and we have <laughs> to deal with that and quickly get the hell out of there and get some wins. in uh, Charlotte Jackson, thanks again for joining me. Always fun having you on. And, and I'm sure we're going to do this again soon as well.
1: Yeah, awesome. Appreciate it.
0: All right, that's Jackson Frank. You can check out his work at libertyballers.com. Uh, does a ton of the post game stuff for us, as well as some of the previews and, and other news-related items. Uh, so definitely check them out there. And, of course, you can subscribe to the Liberty Ballers Podcast Network on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your fix. You can catch us there. That'll do it for this episode. we will be back with Out of Sight on Tuesday, and then I'll be back in the chair on Wednesday for the post game against the Celtics.